is to look to in this sermon and to uh, deeply consider the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's a goal, if there's a hope, it is that. That in these moments, with the Bible open, that you would, with me, uh, look to Jesus. Now, uh, perhaps immediately you can see what I mean about that sounding a little bit odd, because your retort to that hopefully would be, well, Andy, is that not what we always should be doing uh, in a sermon? Is that not what we always want to do in preaching, to, to look to Jesus Christ? But I suppose you know what we're like. Sometimes it doesn't always pan out like that, does it? Sometimes we come to church and other things do get in the way, don't they? Uh, sometimes in, in the preaching, in the sermon, what happens? But, but, but the focus is on fighting off tiredness, isn't it? Let's be honest. Or sometimes uh, we come to church and the focus is on ensuring that the kids kind of behave themselves. Or the focus becomes uh, the areas of service that was signed up for, maybe. Or the, the, the focus becomes the fellowship that we'll enjoy after the service is over. And I know, Kate, look, all of that's good and it's fine and it's, and, it's, and it's great. But can all of that not just this morning fall just off to the side? Because today... Please understand that we come to what I'm going to refer to here as an especially significant portion of God's Word. Don't shoot me. I know all of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it inerrant, all of it life-giving. I know that. But this portion of Scripture this morning is special for the following reason, that the feeding of the 5,000 outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded by each of the four gospel writers. Did you know that? Would you linger on that for a moment? What we turn to now, the only miracle recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think at least part of the reason for that is what this miracle shows us about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of this morning, you know, what it being like, instead of the focus being on what you're going to be up to later on today or the kids or ourselves, let us in these moments right here, let's humble ourselves before our God and, and perhaps let us as a church do what that uh, quite famous hymn exhorts us to do. In these moments, with the Bible open, let us turn our eyes uh, upon Jesus. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Friends, join me. Let's pray before we look into these verses. Let's pray. Lord God, we have worshipped you. We have thanked you. We confess our sin to you. As a church and as people as we look back on the way that we live, the way we have lived in the past, the way that we have been living even this week, oh, we recognize something of our rebellion. We thank you that in Christ Jesus, there is an assurance of pardon and our sin is taken. But Lord God, there's an obvious prayer for us to pray as we turn to the feeding of the 5,000. In preaching this morning, by your grace alone, would you feed us Lord God, would you nourish your people, your church, 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, with Scripture open, the first thing that uh, uh, we ought to pay attention to here, I think, is the willingness of Jesus. As we, you and I, look to Christ in faith this morning, the first thing that we see in him is his willingness, the willingness of Jesus. It was only seven days ago, so with confidence, I'm sure that you can, I can say, you can recall uh, where we had left things last time out. We had just seen Jesus send off the 12. Do you remember? To the towns and the villages on this sort of placement that we called it, this mission where they were going to both heal and they were going to, to preach. Now, as we open this section of Scripture, you notice that what we see is their return very quickly. Don't we see that in verse 10? Jesus, or rather Luke, speaks of the 12 now coming back from the towns and villages. And what they do, as you think about it, is they report back all the exciting things that they have been doing in these towns and villages. They're reporting back. Now, this morning at St. Peter's, as you survey that scene, the disciples reporting back to Jesus, what I want you to appreciate is how exhausted everyone in that picture really is, how tired everybody is. The other accounts, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, they make it clear that at this point, Jesus has been so busy and the disciples have been so busy that they have not even had time to eat. Never mind rest, okay? Everyone in this picture is exhausted. So what does it that Jesus does here? Do you notice? What he does is he takes the, the disciples away for some R&R. Doesn't he do that? If you put the pieces together, what you find is that this group now, they go out in a boat. They travel to the northeast corner of Galilee, to the region of Bethsaida, let's say. What they do when you put the pieces of the jigsaw together, they, they ascend a mountain, a hill. They go up to an elevated part. And why? Do you know why? Just catch their breath. They're exhausted. They've gone up to this elevated uh, place just to rest. Now, here we go. Truth is, some of you in here at St. Peter's this morning, you are also tired, aren't you? Let's be frank about it. Some of you have had uh, crazy weeks, haven't you? This week has just been crazy uh, for you. It's been busy for all manner of reasons. Some of you have had in, you know, interrupted sleep, haven't you? Because of maybe wee ones or because of illness or uh, because of stress or whatever, noisy neighbors, it could be any number of reasons, but maybe you're tired. Well, in that state, if that's where you are this morning, I wonder how you are interpreting what happens at the start of this text. Look at verse 11. I wonder if we can project verse 11. Do you notice what happens? So Jesus and the 12 go up this hill and they're so tired. And they go up to, to, to get some rest and they just flop down on the grass. <laughs> and then what happens? They, they look down the hill and they realize they've been followed. <laughs> they've, they've been found. They look down the hill and there's this vast crowd of people ascending. So in our experience of tiredness perhaps this morning, how are you interpreting that? Come on. 
Are you thinking like this, that though Jesus maybe like stands to welcome these people, are you sort of interpreting that he's probably doing this through gritted teeth? You thinking that there's maybe because they're so tired, like you may be thinking, oh, there must have been something of a sort of air of disappointment here. Oh no, they found us, you know, they're, they're coming after us. An air of disappointment, is that how you're interpreting it? It is absolutely not like that. And for us to see it, I want to take you somewhere else, ever so briefly, just for a moment. Come with me. I want to take you into a room in a house in Rome just a few years later. Will you come with me just for a second? So what's in that house? Like just the bare essentials in this house. Just a few decades later. So you've got in this house, as you think about it, you've got a bed, right? And you've got a table. And do you know what else you've got? You've got the Apostle Paul. And at this moment, in this house in Rome, Paul is under house arrest, okay? So Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Now, this is what I would love you to to think about. Can you imagine, in that circumstance with Paul, how it would have gladdened Paul's heart to receive a visitor? Can you imagine? Like, think about it. He is isolated, Paul, right? And he is mistreated, by this Roman guard, and it's not like it was for you with COVID in your isolation, and Paul has not got Netflix to keep him entertained. Imagine the, the situation, imagine his delight when the, the door goes, and it's, do you know, it's a fellow Christian. Come to see him, and it's come to minister to him and come to pray with the apostle. Can you imagine the joy? Imagine how Paul's heart would have just in those moments, get a visitor, his heart would have sunk with joy. As you think about that, understand this, that the language that Luke uses for Paul in that situation when he gets a visitor is exactly the same language that Luke uses here for Jesus' reaction to the crowd. So when you read this, understand that like Paul with a visitor, Jesus welcomes the crowd. Isn't it beautiful? Understand that that Jesus here is not welcoming them with gritted teeth. That Jesus, despite all of his tiredness, this this is not an air of disappointment. He is excited. Like he is delighted. He is enthused that the crowd have come that they've followed, and that he has an opportunity to teach them about God, to teach them about grace. Isn't that lovely? Now, I, I think there's all manner of uh, lessons that for us as Christians we can draw from that. I think chief amongst them is this. Christian friends, what we're seeing there should influence our readiness to go to Jesus and to run to him. What we're seeing there should see us turn to Jesus time and time again, each and every day. Think about that for a moment. Is it not true of you and I that even as Christ people, so often we are reticent to go to our Lord? Now, I wonder, do you ever think like this? You think, well, I cannot go to Jesus just now in prayer because why have I been sinful? today. I 
can't go to him in prayer. Or do you think like this? Oh, I, I can't go to, to Jesus in his word because of the way that I have been living just now. Oh, what I'll do, I'll do this. I'll try and sort myself out a little bit and I'll try and turn over a new leaf. Then I will go to Jesus in, in the means of, then I'll go to him in prayer and his word. Now, what are you seeing as you open up scripture this morning? You see in Luke chapter nine, that Jesus is ever ready to receive those who go to him, despite all of the mess of your life, despite of all the mistakes, Jesus will delight if you go to him and turn to him. And so what should we do right now? Do you not think even now in the sermon, even now in the preaching, that you and I as people should go to Jesus. Will you do that right now, just in, in prayer in your heart, with adoration, with gratitude, praise? Go to your Savior, because what can you know for sure? As he welcomed the crowd in Luke chapter 9. So right now, your loving Savior, he will welcome you. He will welcome you. He will receive you. We see here the willingness of Jesus. The second thing that we see here, though, is the sufficiency of Jesus. The sufficiency of Jesus. I think it goes without saying, although I am going to say it, but I think it goes without saying that this is one of the most famous and familiar portions of God's Word, isn't it? I doubt, looking around, that there's anyone at St. Peter's for whom Jesus feeding the 5,000 is new information, Okay. We all in here, from the youngest to the oldest, we, we've heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's familiar. But I think it is worth saying that we mustn't allow that familiarity to lead to us treating this with any sort of, not contempt, but flippancy or nonchalance here. So I'm going to ask you to please engage with all seriousness Engage with the problem that presents itself in this text. Even though you're familiar with it, really, please, think hard about the problem. Let's look at it. If you look at verse 12 to 14, have an idea. What is the problem? First thing to say is that it's beautifully, beautifully written. Look at it. And the day began to wear away. Isn't it lovely? Isn't it beautifully written? What's the problem here? As Jesus welcomes the crowd, Jesus begins to speak to them. And, and time, as time tends to do, time marches on. And this vast crowd before Jesus, they feel a sort of pang, don't they? And hunger takes over. And where does Luke say that they are? This is very important. Luke tells us that they are in a desolate place. Okay, we're nothing around them. No food for them to eat. Everybody knows this problem. But you've got it in focus now, don't you, this problem? Now, if you and I are going to understand this miracle, this is what must happen. We must appreciate two things in this text. Now, I'm going to deal with these two things, one after the other. And then what we're going to do at St. Peter's is we're going to put these two things together. What are the two things that we must understand? Number one, we must appreciate the context in Luke chapter 9. Some of you have got your Bible, Bibles open. Even if you just flick at the headings for chapter 9, and certainly the headings towards the end of chapter 9, 
you're going to realize this really quickly. Much of Luke chapter 9 is about Jesus equipping the disciples, about Jesus training the disciples. In fact, if we just think about last week, we see that really clearly, don't we? Jesus sent the 12 out. Why? Because he's instructing. So, so everybody get the first thing here. What is it? The context. The context for the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus instructing the 12. That's the first thing. Second thing we have to bear in mind is this. It's the attitude here of the 12. Let's look down at it. Do you see what's the attitude? So there's, there's no food. And the 12, what do they do? They go to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, send, send these people away so that they can go and get some food. Isn't it interesting if you look at the beginning of verse 13? What does Jesus do? Do you notice... Now, bear in mind what I just said about the first thing. Do you notice Jesus turns the issue over to the disciples? You notice that? Jesus says, no, wait, you feed them. And then what would you say their attitude is? Don't the 12 dismiss that out of hand? <laughs> Jesus, us, feed them? We've looked around and we've managed to get five little loaves and two fish. And you can hear the disciples saying, Jesus, wait a minute. Even with you here, we can't do this. Even with you present amongst us, Jesus, we can't. What's the attitude of the 12? Do you see that they are doubting the ability of Jesus to use them? Here in this miracle, they're doubting Jesus' power to ask. And, and maybe if you're feeling generous this morning at St. Peter's, like you can understand that. Because this is an altogether greater problem than they have encountered before, isn't it? I mean, if you've been here for the sermon series, you know Jesus has done some wonderful things up to now, hasn't he? Hasn't he? And he's, and he's healed people and he's exercised demons. And, but they've all been isolated individuals. And at this point, the disciples are looking out to this vast crowd of over 5,000 hungry people. Do you see, this is new. This is bigger. This is a far more intimidating problem. And now, if you put those two things together, you'll see it. The context and the attitude of the disciples, you will see this. Listen. One of the main reasons that Jesus feeds the 5,000 is for the instruction of the 12. Can you see that? Can you? By turning it over to them, you feed them. And then when they fail, Jesus going on to perform this miracle. Do you see what he's doing? He is here in this miracle, enlarging his followers' appreciation of his ability and his power. Why does he feed the 5,000? Part of the reason is show his people that his power is greater and grander than they appreciated. Why does he feed 5,000 people? To show his followers that his power, the power of Jesus, is entirely sufficient no matter what it is that's faced. And as you and I this morning at St. Peter's, as we hover over that for a minute, I'm sure you're with me and agree with me that that is a really welcome truth for us to hear, isn't it? Come on. We know what the Christian life is like, but now 
That we know that time and time again in the Christian life, you and I are up against situations and up against problems that seem to us insurmountable, don't they? And even in the Christian life, problems that just seem unconquerable, and indeed it may be the case. That's exactly where you are this morning as you've come into St. Peter's and you've come into this hall and something new has come into your life, something that just seems so massive and intimidating. What is it that you are being reminded of here? As you this morning look to Jesus, he would have you reminded that his power is sufficient for whatever it is that you are facing just now, Christian friend, that for those who have come to Jesus Christ, as this crowd have here, he would remind you that he will provide for you. In this miracle, Jesus is reminding his church, his people, that nothing, nothing is impossible with our Lord. So we see his willingness, his love, his empathy. We also see his sufficiency. And then the third thing is the identity of Jesus. And can I ask you to put it into reverse for a second? And to go back to the very, very start of the sermon and to remember what we thought about and what we said. At the start, we said that part of the reason that all four Gospels record this event is because what this miracle shows us about Jesus. We said that. That's how we started. That was the introduction. That's true. But I want you to see that it's it's better than that. More than just showing us what Jesus is like, Part of the reason I think that all four gospel writers record this is because in this miracle, we are also shown something of who Jesus actually is. You follow? So in the feeding of the 5,000, you and I are given a special insight into the actual identity of Jesus of Nazareth, who he is. Now, you're going to see this If you just think about the section that immediately uh, precedes this, Louise, I wonder if you could put that up, or if you could look at verse 7 and 8. We've kind of skimmed over verse 7 and 8, but if you have a look now, you skim, read it on on the screen, you'll see that immediately preceding the feeding of the 5,000 is this little section, isn't it? A strange section in a way. And it's a section where we get this cameo appearance uh, from Herod the Tetrarch, where he is, he's disturbed. I think he's also intrigued by all of this commotion that's been caused by the 12 disciples and particularly Jesus. Now, as you skim read that, can you recognize what the high point of that little section is? I'll give you a clue. It's in verse 9. Do you notice that it all leads to this question that Herod asks? Do you, do you see it there? Look. Herod, verse 9, asks, and who is this? He asks of Jesus. Now, isn't it clever? Because I reckon by now you can see, you know Luke's devices. So you can see what Luke's doing. Do you see what he's doing? Luke is taking you by the hand, leading you into the feeding of the 5,000. He's leading you into it with a question about Jesus' identity in your mind, on your lips, in your heart. Luke leads you in at the feet of the 5,000. You're asking, and and who is 
this. So what do we learn in the miracle about that? Well, I think this. I think in the feeding of the 5,000, there's an obvious thing that you and I are supposed to, supposed to do. I reckon you can probably see what it is, an obvious thing. By showing us a crowd being miraculously fed in the New Testament, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to view this miracle through the lens of the Old Testament scriptures. Because I think probably all of us in this room just now, we recognize that there are parallel events, parallel miraculous feedings, aren't there? In the Old Testament scriptures, what what is it, Christian friend, that comes to mind when I say this? Miraculous feedings in the Old Testament, what comes to mind for you? Maybe for some, it's 2 Kings chapter 4. What happens there? Do you remember it? You've got Elisha, and he takes bread... And he breaks the bread, and guess what he does with it? Elisha feeds a multitude of people. Or, what was the one you were actually thinking about? Moses, right? Moses, able to feed the the people of Israel in the wilderness, miraculously with, with manna. So could it be? Could it be? In Luke chapter 9, that we are being shown Jesus of Nazareth as, 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 as a figure like them? Are we being shown here Jesus as a great prophet of God? Is that it? Is that the lesson? Listen to the answer. The answer is no. The answer is that in Luke chapter 9, you and I are being shown Jesus to be something better and greater and bigger and brighter than that. Can I show you how? First of all, in Luke chapter 9, think about this. Because <laughs> I mentioned Elisha, he broke breads and he, and he fed them all. Do you know how many people Elisha fed? Elisha managed to feed a hundred people. And then you turn to Luke chapter 9 and you see, don't you, Jesus, bigger, better, brighter than that. Look at this vast crowd. It's so big that they have to be broken up into these groups of 50. You see it? The scale? Then... Think about the abundance in Jesus. Because we all know, yeah, like Moses, with the manna, he fed a a grand crowd, a big crowd. But wait a minute. What did we learn in Exodus 16? Can can you remember in Exodus 16? We were were told this, that with Moses and the manna, there was, ready for it, no lack. That with Moses, with the manna, there was exactly enough bread go around exactly when that last person that last man had his fill there was no more manna and you compare it don't you see the difference in Luke chapter 9 what do you see with Jesus the greater Moses what do you see but an abundance there were 12 full massive baskets of bread left over Do you see Jesus again? He is greater and he is bigger and he is brighter. Here's the last one. Make sure you get it. The immediacy of the miracle. When we're thinking about the Old Testament, what we have to appreciate in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, is that it was God himself who is portrayed as the filler of his people and the provider of his people. Does everybody get that? It is God in the Old Testament himself who fills the people. And so how does this happen in Luke chapter 9? I mean, how does the miracle go down? Is it as it was with the manna? 
Is there dew on the ground that brings the manna and the provision? Is that it? Is there some secondary means that Jesus uses? No, what happens? Jesus there stands and he prays and from his hands, the miracle comes. He directly passes this bread to the disciples to, 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 to dish out. Do you see? It is Jesus who is shown up here as the provider and the filler of people. It is immediate from Jesus. Do you recognize what you were supposed to recognize from this miracle? Here, you and I are given insight into the divine identity of Jesus. That actually, the answer to Herod's question is clear. Who is this? Who is this on this hill providing for the people? Who is this? It is none other than the incarnate one. Who is this but the everlasting God providing bread for these people? Who is this but the almighty, eternal God come amongst us in power and glory? And then we close with a fourth one. Most brief of all, because we have to address the satisfaction of Jesus here. Uh, I hope that you're, you're seeing what, uh, what I see, that this is such a special portion of Scripture. It's special because of what it shows us about who Jesus is and, and what he is like. But there is one further reason, one last reason that this is special. And for this, I'm going to turn this over to somebody else. To, a writer from a, a, an era long gone. Uh, he is from the 19th century, and he is an Anglican. And he says this. And he says, you know, this, this a miracle happened. It's factual. Jesus did this. And he says, and this is special, because what we have before us is an acted parable. Oh, I do hope you get that. So this happened, Jesus provided for these people, but the writer goes on to say, but it is also a picture for the church. Listen to how he puts it. It's a picture of the glorious gospel of God. This miracle happened, Jesus did this, but this is also a picture of spiritually what Christ Jesus alone can provide. I hope that you sitting here in St. Peter's this morning, that you really see that. Can you see that? that this is an acted parable? I mean, who is it that is represented by this, in Luke chapter 9, this vast crowd before Jesus? Who does that represent if it's not all of humanity? Like, before Jesus. Can you see that? Like, all of humanity spiritually famished because of our rebellion against God. You see, like all of humanity, where are they spiritually in a desolate place because of the rebellion against God? All of humanity unable spiritually to feed themselves. And then what is it that is represented by this bread in Luke chapter 9? If it is not the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that only Jesus can provide, a bread, don't you see it? A bread that has been broken. A broken, just as his body would be in death to bear our sin. A bread 
that is distributed by the 12, by the church, just as the good news would be by, by the church in years to come. A bread that you see in verse 17. A bread that is eaten by the crowd and a bread that satisfies just as the gospel does in Christ. Do you see this is an acted parable? This is a picture for you reminding you of the spiritual satisfaction that is only found in Jesus of Nazareth. So perhaps it is this morning in here that you are not a Christian yet. And perhaps it is that you this morning do recognize in your life something of that genuine spiritual hunger. Do you? Is there that yearning that never quite seems to be met? No matter how many material possessions you accumulate and no matter how many relationships that you have, there's still that spiritual deep down hunger, that yearning, that longing. If so, I would just remind you of what that crowd saw. As they ascend the hill, what do they see? But they see Jesus, and he is eager to welcome them. Surely he smiled as he beckoned them to himself. And do you understand, friend, that today in the gospel, that is the same picture for you? Just now, Jesus of Nazareth is ready to welcome you. The glorious, gentle, life-giving Christ. He stands ready to receive you. Will you not turn your eye upon Jesus? Will you not today by faith go to Jesus? Because we as a church can assure you of this. If you go to Jesus, you will be spiritually nourished. You will find in him an eternal spiritual satisfaction is only found in him. It is only found in the bread of life. Friends, let's bow our heads. Let's go to Jesus in prayer.